Our first reading tonight comes from Proverbs chapter 12, verses 13 to 28, and that's on page 551 of the Pew Bibles. Evil doers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labour. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. In the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. Second readings from James 3, verses 1 to 12. It's found on page 1044 of your Black Bibles. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you who know, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Linda. My name is Ed. I'm the congregational pastor here at 7 p.m. And we're going to be continuing to explore this passage from James chapter 3. So it'd be great if you keep that open in front of you. We're in our fifth week in our series, A Faith Not Lacking, in the book of James. And you might have been feeling that James comes pretty thick and fast at us, doesn't he? He keeps on bringing up areas of our lives and sticking them in front of our face and calling us to change and be transformed. I spent this last week that's just passed, perhaps presumptuously, thinking that I had a pretty tight rein on my tongue. That was until yesterday. I attended a wedding of a friend from my high school. I conducted the wedding of a friend from high school. I went to a second birthday party and then ended up at a dinner with friends at night. At the wedding, I found myself exaggerating, trying to make the things that were funny even funnier, uh, trying to make my successes sound even more successful. Uh, I went to the birthday party and there I was, you know, sort of making light of the, uh, the way that the groom was so unorganised at the wedding that I'd just been at, joking at his expense. And then I went to the dinner at night and uh, though I haven't watched the show, we spent about an hour talking about married at first sight. And everyone was laughing and giggling and it's easy, isn't it, to make fun of people that you've never met and you never will meet, but have put themselves up for public exposure. Uh, people like Donald Trump, even him, is made in the image of God, and there we were, tearing them to shreds for an hour. It made me realise that verse 8 of chapter 3 is just so true. No human being, says James, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. There's no one in this room to whom these words don't apply, is there? There's no one here who's thinking, I mastered it. I'm all over the tongue. I can control what comes out of my mouth. Our words, they're so powerful. They are so powerful. I love you. I hate you. You look beautiful in those colors. You're ugly. You're an asset to the team. You're useless. You can't just think about words that have been said to us. Some of them you've probably carried maybe since childhood. Heavy words that have struck your heart. We also need to consider the words that we've spoken to others, don't we? I used to coach rowing, and many years after I coached, I bumped into a guy I used to coach. And he told me that one day I said to him, you are the fattest lightweight rower that has ever been in Australian rowing. And it stuck with him for years and years. We had a laugh about it, but we can really hurt people with our words. I think of Naomi DeVries, uh, who lovingly challenged me one day when I made light of a member of our church in a staff meeting. I uh, guess I joked at their expense. And Naomi did what I think James is doing here, acting like a loving big brother, saying, these are the things, my brothers and sisters, that should not be. Verse 10, out of the same mouth, says James, come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
God loves you, Christian brother and sister, and he loves you so much that he's going to hit you up tonight again about the words that come out of your mouth because he wants you to have a faith not lacking. He wants you to have a faith that flows off your tongue. So have a listen uh, once more to the title verse that James introduced the themes that he was going to explore in the book uh, that he wrote, in the letter that he wrote, sorry. Verses, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, James explained where he was going to go. And here's the title verse for chapter 3. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. God wants us to have a true faith, a faith that is real, a faith that's not lacking, a faith that flows off our tongues with life-giving words. Well, our tongues are surprisingly powerful parts of our bodies. Think about the last sleepless night you had. Was it because of something you said? A comment you made in the office that you regret? Think about the years and years of friendship that you could tear apart with a careless, critical comment. Our first point tonight is that we use our tongues to direct our lives. One of the problems with when we get taught about our tongues is often it comes from people who are not very good at controlling them. So our parents will say to us, if you can't say anything helpful, don't say anything at all. And then we look at the way that they talk to each other and you're like, that's not helpful. Or our teachers at school uh, told us uh, to be disciplined with our words and then we see them in the staff room gossiping and then we get told off in the classroom. Well, James says, I'm right along with you. I'm in with you. We all have trouble with our mouths. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. I'm like you, says James. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Well, he's, uh, he's right in with us, and James then shows us a number of very helpful illustrations that demonstrate to us the power of our tongues, the power of these little parts of our bodies to direct the whole course of our lives. Verse 3, he says, With a small bit, you can control big, dynamic, powerful, strong, wild at nature horse with just a small piece of metal in its mouth. Or he says, verse 4, consider the carnival spirit or whatever that big ship's called down at Circular Quay. The, the ship that looks like a building from the city put on its side and placed in the water. It is so big and yet it's directed wherever the pilot wants it to go through just a small rudder. Likewise, verse 5, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it has great, great power to direct your life. So which way will you let your tongue direct the course of your life? We're going to think in a more positive direction later in our service. Sarah Condi is going to come uh, and she's going to share with us some tips and some thoughts on how to speak positively. But James goes south. He He goes to the negative ways we use our tongue, so we're going to go with him. Have a look. And he considers what a great great forest, verse 5, can be set on fire by such a small spark. There you are on Saturday night. It's a nice dinner party with friends, and you're all sitting around the table, pleasant food, good conversation, lovely ambience. 
And then you choose to make a careless, perhaps ingest comment. It's a shame Jeremy's girlfriend wouldn't let him come tonight. Boom, off goes the room. 45 minutes of gossip about Jeremy's new girlfriend, the way she's too controlling, and around and around you go, and you've sparked this huge forest fire with just a small little comment. You know those arguments with the people that you love so much, and they're set off by just the tiniest little comment, aren't they? My friend calls them iceberg comments. It's just a little bit on top of the water that you see, but it's filled with baggage underneath, and it sets the whole room on fire. Well, James says that we need to be disciplined with our tongue. Verse 6 is a, a little hard to understand. The tongue, he says, is a fire, a world of evil among the body parts, that it can actually direct the course of our life towards destruction, towards hell itself. When I was at high school, uh, I arrived at high school as someone who didn't swear. In year seven, that was quite a novel thing. There's a guy who doesn't swear. Uh, You know, I'd say, far out when I stubbed my toe and (laughs) shivers if someone really annoyed me. Uh, In year eight, it became like a challenge for my friends. I was a boarder at school. And so they would give me typewriters on the chest and try and get me to swear. And I fought and fought and I wouldn't do it. But, you know, by year nine, I was tired. I was tired of being different. And I can remember where I was and exactly what I said when I said that first swear word. And you know what happened? Like the vulgar language that started coming out of my mouth, my attitudes became more vulgar. My thoughts, my actions, my behavior became more vulgar. I set my life on the course of my words. Our words are so powerful, they can direct us away from God. They can direct us, James warns, even towards hell itself. Same's true of lying, isn't it? No one, no one starts out a compulsive liar. No, we tell one or two white lies and we get away with it and no one seems to have been hurt. And so we tell a few more. And before we know it, we're caught up in this web of deceit and half-truths and Who knows this and who knows that? And it's exhausting. Or criticism. I'm sure you've probably at some stage in your life lived in an apartment building with a fire-breathing critical dragon woman. An old lady who has just spent her whole life criticizing and, and backbiting against anything and everyone. And she's writing the anonymous notes on the foyer door about security and who leaves the door open and closed and putting rubbish in your own bins, all these same sort of things. And, and her face has become crinkled up like the words that come out of her mouth and everything about her is critical. Don't, don't let yourself go down that path. Don't let your words lead you into a critical, cutting, old, older person. Friends, your tongue is powerful. It is, has the power to lead your life on a path towards hell. If you thought that was bad news, take a look at verse 7. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed. That is, we've tamed dogs to know how to sniff out bombs. We've tamed parrots 
to know how to sit on pirates' shoulders. We've tamed snakes to dance to a snake charmer. If you want to see the amazing miracle of, of humanity's capacity to tame nature, go to the seal show at Taronga Zoo. It's phenomenal what a seal can do. But verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. Prophet Isaiah was a man who had the privilege of seeing a vision of the Almighty God. He saw God in his holiness. And do you know what the first words were to come off his mouth? Whoa. Not, not whoa, you're awesome. Whoa to me. Whoa to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am ruined, said Isaiah. My words defile me before a holy God. I live amongst a people who are defiled by their words, a people of unclean lips. And Isaiah said, I feel like I'm going to die before a holy God. And so he cast himself on the mercy of God. And that's what James exhorts us to do. Cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Come to the only one who has had perfect, pure, and clean lips. Think about this for an idea. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James lived in a house with Jesus for maybe up to 30 years. James, you know that it's in your home where the hardest, harshest words come out of your mouth. James knew his brother never sinned. He was faultless. He was perfect. And then what happened? The Word of God, the Word incarnate, the voice of God become a person, walked himself on a path towards hell. He was cursed, sworn at, lied lied about, spat on. He faced all all the wrath of hell when he went to the cross and died a death that you and I deserved. And he did that because he knows that the problem is not just our words, it's our hearts. Jesus died on a cross in your place so that you could not just have a changed tongue, but a transformed heart. I wonder how many people in this room experienced that wives' tale of, uh, well, it's not a wives' tale, that experience of having their mouths washed out with soap. You might have said something and mum took you into the kitchen and sorted you out. I thought it was something that happened, you know, back in the 60s and the, the 70s. And then a friend of my son's at school got the hand soap in the mouth the other day for having a potty mouth. The problem with that solution to taming the tongue is that the soap doesn't clean far enough, does it? It doesn't get to the heart of the problem, which is the human heart. Because it's from our hearts that our mouths speak. And that's why Jesus died on the cross to give us new hearts, to make us a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And that's our second point tonight. Use our tongues to be a fountain of life because the tongue speaks what the heart is full of. Well, one of James's favorite terms is double-minded. And he critiques the double-mindedness or the contradictions of our tongues in verse 9. He says, With our tongues, church by the bridge, 7 p.m. service, you have just spent 15 minutes praising the king Singing about our good, good father. 
What else has come off that tongue in the past 24 hours? Have you criticised, belittled others, cursed others, cut them down? Well, James says, verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. You've got new hearts. Don't let the old stuff come out. Live with these new hearts. Live with transformed tongues. You see, James knows that the words that come out of our mouths flow from what is in our hearts. And that's why he goes on to talk about water sources and, and bitter and fresh water or salt and fresh water and trees and the nature of the trees and the fruit that they bear. Because he knows that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And he learnt it from his half-brother. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. It's up on the screen. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If your tongue is a fountain of gossip, criticism, cursing, slander, swearing, lies, sarcasm, James says it's worth looking at what is at the root, what is at the source of the fountain, and asking, do I have a faith that is lacking, or a faith that's sincere, a faith that's not lacking? James wants you to make sure you've got true faith down in the fountain of your heart. Tim Keller has a very helpful tongue test. Uh, it's a uh, test you're going to be thinking about in connect groups this week. It's in your little booklet uh, on page 27 in your connect groups. And here's a a little test that he wants to set for you. And why don't you try and strive really hard to apply this test until Tuesday or Wednesday night when you meet in Bible study. Here it is. For one week, don't complain or grumble about anything. Don't boast about anything at all. Don't gossip or report bad information about anybody. Don't run something or someone else down, even a little bit. Don't defend or excuse yourself. Do always affirm other people. Maybe it's too much to go until Tuesday night. Why don't you try that over supper? Why don't you try it just really hard to apply that until you go home tonight? But we must, brothers and sisters, we have new hearts. We need to let our words be fountains of life. Words are powerful. How you speak about things uh, doesn't just affect the people around you. It affects you. Our words direct the course of our lives. Our words can, uh, can become a fountain of life-giving refreshment, encouragement, building others up, or they can lead us down a course of destruction that ultimately ends at hell. Well, this sermon has been mostly negative, and Sarah is going to come and help us think more positively in a couple of moments. Uh, But let me finish with a story from my life that sort of illustrates all that we've been talking about. Not too long ago, uh, I made a a joke about a member of staff in a staff meeting that this person wasn't at. Um, And as I was confessing that sin to God, God helped me see that the things that you say out of your mouth, they always come out in one way or another. That is, they might come out just by shaping the attitude of your heart and the way you think about other people. 
it might come out in the, the way that other people start thinking of you. Oh, he talks like that about people who aren't in the room. It might come out in that the words might go around and get back to the person you said something about. And it will definitely come out on the day of judgment. When every one of us stands before God and the things that were said in secret are proclaimed from the rooftops. And so I realized I would rather this person hears it straight from my mouth, tempered with an apology. So I went and I said sorry. And it brought about healing in the relationship. It also brought about a deeper trust that this person knew that I was willing to disclose myself and apologize when they perhaps might never have found out. And I think that's the right place to finish tonight, is with an apology. Uh, because it's to God whom we've hurt, and maybe you might need to go out tonight and apologize to someone that you've hurt with your words. But let's say sorry to God, and then we're going to pray this prayer that's up on the screen. And this might be a helpful prayer for you to pray this week. Psalm 19 verse 14 says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock my Redeemer. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we're going to pray that prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we are sorry for the many ways in which our tongues defile us. And we say things that offend you, that hurt others, and direct our lives away from you and towards hell. Father, have mercy on us and create in us clean hearts. And now in the words of Psalm 19, we pray together. Let's pray these words together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Hello to you all. If you don't know me, my name is Sarah and... I'm on staff here. I normally go to the 9.45 service with my husband, Keith, and I'm the Director of Wellbeing and Care here at church. We've been encouraged to tame the tongue. I find that a challenge. Do you find that a challenge? I'm not sure about you, but I feel rebuked. And when I look back on the last week, the words of my mouth have sometimes lacked restraint. So I stand here not as someone who has a perfect tongue or perfect words, but as someone who is genuinely trying to speak words that are encouraging. So how can we be people who speak words of encouragement? John Stott, a famous English preacher and pastor, prayed a prayer for himself every day. A few years ago when I found this prayer, I thought, if it's good enough for John Stott to pray, then it's good enough for me. So I started to pray it too. It includes these words. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But has that fruit ripened? 
we can all pray this prayer. The words we speak are signs of the ripeness of this fruit in our lives. I, I want to focus on how can we have words that are kind, patient, gentle, and self-controlled. So firstly, kind. Now there's heaps I could say here, but I want to talk about five words that are not hard to say. And they communicate an interest in the other. They open up doors to conversation. They are words we can forget to say, but they are kind words. Five very simple words. Hello, goodbye, please, thank you, and sorry. Every time you use one of those words, you are being kind. If you're married, do you say goodbye to each other at the start of each day? Do you say goodbye? Have a nice day. I'll see you tonight. Or do you simply walk out the door? If you have children, how do you greet them at the end of the day? Do you look into their eyes and say, hi, how was your day? Or are you on your phone and you say, come on, you've got to hurry up and do your homework or you've got to do whatever else is needed. When you haven't heard from a friend in ages, rather than continuing the silence, are you the one that reaches out first by sending a text or calling and saying, hi, how are you? With those closest to you, how often do you say thank you and please? And when you stuff up, do you say, I'm sorry? Do you want the fruit of kindness to ripen in your life? Start by using these five simple words, hello, goodbye, please, thank you, and sorry. Gentle. Research shows that if you start a conversation harshly, it almost always ends badly. If you want to talk to someone about something important, if you want them to hear what you have to say, start it gently. The writer of Proverbs said something very similar centuries ago. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you want the fruit of gentleness to ripen in your life? Start by thinking how you start your conversations. Patient. Your work colleague has done that annoying thing again. Your friend is running late, and they always run late, and then you get a text to say that they're 10 minutes away. Or something has happened that makes you really angry, and this comes out in the words that you speak to whoever you spend time with next. We open our mouths and utter reckless, hurtful words. Our words can crush the life out of another. The writer of Proverbs expresses it like this. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Do you want the fruit of patience to ripen in your life? Start by thinking how you respond when you get annoyed. Self-control. The writer of Proverbs says, 
Those who guard their lips guard their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. You hear something delicious about someone you know, and you're dying to tell your friend this tasty tidbit of gossip to your friend. Stop. Ask yourself, would I say this in front of them? Is it honouring of them? If you can't replace it with affirming words, then hold your tongue. This is self-control. Do you want the fruit of self-control to ripen in your life? Start by thinking about what you say. Do you want to tame your tongue? Well, we need to think about how you do it. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit to ripen the fruits of words that are kind, gentle, patient and self-controlled, but we need to think hard about our words. The writer of Proverbs said, The heart of the righteous meditates before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil. Slow down and think before opening your mouth. You might find this little saying helps. Think what? What do you need to say? Think how? How do you want to say it? Think when? When is a good time to say it? And just being a bit practical, reflect on some of your conversations in this last week. What did you say that you regret? How might you have said it differently? Is there a time of day when you are more likely to stuff up? If you want to change, you need to notice what needs to be changed. Now, tiredness and hunger are not good combinations. Are they the times when you blurt out reckless and harsh words? What times in your day are you hangry? Can you do something to change this? Have a snack. Pray and ask God for help. Mentally prepare yourself. As I left this afternoon to come across to church, my dear husband said to me, have you got a snack to take with you? He knows me well. Taming our tongue, speaking encouraging words is hard work. Let me promise you, we are going to stuff it up by the end of today. Isn't that encouraging? Now, behind on the screen, have you noticed, have you been looking at this man running up a sand dune? Have you ever tried running on soft sand? Have you tried running up a hill of soft sand? You're not going to get to the top without practice and hard work. They are what contribute to that man reaching the top. We can do it with our words, but it's hard work. Do you feel like you've stuffed up big time? Remember one of those five words? Sorry. We can say sorry to the person who heard our words, 
and we can say sorry to our great God. And you know how God responds? He says, I forgive you. I've been thinking a lot about the, product, the father of the prodigal son and the words he uses when his wayward son returns home. Now this son has squandered his entire inheritance. He has behaved like a spoilt, entitled brat. He's a young adult who has not made wise choices. Now, what would I have said if that was my son coming home? What would you say if that was your son? What this father says are surprising words, and they are life-giving and show that the spirit is well and truly ripe in his life. His response is gentle, kind, patient, and self-controlled. Like prodigal children, we can return and say, I'm sorry, and he says, I forgive you. These words are life-giving words. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pray John Stott's prayer and ask for help. We can all be people who use words of encouragement.